I've called this series Into the Sunset. Uh, first service, they played Happy Trails to me afterwards um, uh, because it's my last series as your senior pastor. And what I've tried to do is put together not only passages that mean a great deal to me, but a progression that I think is really important in how we follow Christ in the future. I started with Isaiah 40, which is a hugely significant chapter in my life. Uh, it's, it's whenever I'm asked to preach with no warning, I go to Isaiah 40 because it, the message is, look, look at your God. He loves you and he's all-powerful. I think it's one of the most exquisite descriptions of who God is and how he answers our need. And then I went to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because we often think of spirituality as divorce from day-to-day -day life, but Proverbs shows that when you fear God, that equips you to live wisely in all areas of your life, your money, your relationships, everything in the book of Proverbs shows that, that the gospel is intended to shape all of our responses to the life in which we live. The next Sunday, we looked at Romans 1, 16 and 17, where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And the central point of our lives as individuals and of our life as a church is the gospel of Jesus. And it is the power. It is not anything we do that will change the world, but it is the power of the gospel that God intended to be what reshapes human hearts and changes human worlds. And that has always got to be the focus we come back to. And then 2 Timothy 2, 2 was the next week, a passage that tells about what the ministry is, and that ministry is passing what we've received from the apostolic truth on to future generations, because each one of us has a responsibility to pass the gospel, the truth about our Lord, the, the, this, this doctrine that we have been given to the next generation. And I think it's extremely important that all of us in the church accept the responsibility we have, not only to our children, but others whom God brings into our lives. Today, I'm going to finish. Fini, that's French. I'm going to finish with the book of Philippians, if you'll turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible, maybe my favorite, certainly my favorite of, of the epistles, because in Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing from prison, probably in Rome under house arrest. It's a time when he may well end up being executed for his faith in Christ. And yet, it is written with a special affection to a church that he had particular love for. It bleeds through every paragraph in the book, his deep admirations for the Philippians and his love for them. And one of the things I love most about it is his epistle about joy. Can I say to you right now that the evangelical church is missing in joy? We've lost our joy. And we've, we've allowed the circumstances around us, and which are weighty and significant, to, to squeeze out the joy that we have in Christ. And in doing so, we've, we've shown a lot about ourselves. We've shown that, that while we appreciate what the gospel gives us, we've allowed the other circumstances to rob the joy that comes from Jesus alone. In Scripture, joy is fundamental to living the Christian life. If you think of um, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit is love. Many scholars believe love is the overarching term for all that follows. In other words, love, that is joy. 
that, that one of the primary characteristics of someone who is walking in step with the Spirit is that will be an, there will be an overflow of joy in their lives, which is impervious, unaware, non-reacting to the circumstances in which we live. And yet we have become so caught up in the bad news and so divorced from the joy of the gospel that in many ways we've become a, a joyless people. And that betrays something about us. So how do you keep going when circumstances are bad? Um, I've probably told you all this before, but you were probably napping, so I can tell you again. Uh, I came to Christ when I was five in a little more Memorial Presbyterian Church. The pastor was in his 80s. He did the church after he retired. It was a little asbestos siding building. Um, and I remember clearly worshiping with buckets all over the sanctuary because it was raining and the roof was leaking. Fortunately, this one didn't. Um, and I was in a Sunday school class. I can't remember who the teacher was. And for the first time at the ripe old age of five, I grasped the gospel. And I remember going to my parents and saying, I think I should go forward after the service. And my parents, knowing that I was a boy, suggested that might not be a good idea because they didn't really know what I would do. But it was so real to me at that point. So I've, I've known Jesus for over 60 years. And can I tell you that over 60 years, there's, there's, there are ups, but there are also downs. There's incredible excitement and enthusiasm, but there's also incredible heartbreak and disappointment. There are times when it seems as though God is in everything you do, and there are times what uh, some have called the dark night of the soul when it seems as though he's forgotten us. In other words, when you walk with the Lord a long time, you have to figure out how, how do you keep it going, right? And for me, Philippians 2 and 3 and especially chapter 3 are crucial to that. So that's what I wanted to end with you today. Let's look at chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, uh, one of the things they teach you in, in seminary is repeated words mean something. Catch that phrase? If you have any implication, surely you have encouragement. Surely you have fellowship. Surely you have comfort, tenderness, and compassion. Then Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. If, if the gospel has meant anything to you, if you've gained any benefit from walking with Jesus, if, if you can make a list of one thing that God has done, then Paul says, then live it out. Show it by unity and love and a singularness and purpose. Verse 3, he addresses the things that keep us from doing that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I, I, you know, every verse in Philippians practically could be a month of sermons. 
How much damage is done in the world by selfish ambition? Just that one thing. How much damage has been done by preachers who have used the body of Christ for their own growth and expansion? How much damage has been done in the economy by business people who, out of their selfish ambition, ignored the, what was best for the community? How much damage has been done in the educational system by educators who cared more about advancing their career than in teaching children? How much, just the list goes on and on, doesn't it? The reality is that selfish ambition is so often involved in undoing the good that God intends from all of those areas. He says, don't, don't do anything out of that or out of conceit. But instead, what's the alternative? Consider other brothers than yourself. Consider also others' interests, not just your own. And then he illustrates what that means. Your attitude, attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. When we see how blessed we are in the gospel, verse 1, God intends for that to teach us humility for the ways he's blessed us. Pride is never grateful. Pride is never grateful. Why is that? Because when you do someone for the, something for someone who's pride, what's their first thought? Well, of course you gave it to me, right? I deserve it, right? I mean, I'm a good enough, I'm smart enough, doggone it, people like me. I'm, I'm just generally a good guy. So shouldn't you do this for me? Gratitude is always wrapped around humility because gratitude is aware of our limitations and sees how much of a blessing it is that someone would express love toward us. When we lose the ability to be grateful for the love of others, it is our pride that is set aside. And the Apostle Paul says, let me tell you the attitude you should have. Let's start with the Son of God. Who, according to Scripture, John 1, Genesis 1, created the universe. And that's the attitude you should have because he didn't think being equal with God was something to hold on to. Instead, he emptied himself of that, took the form of a servant, and that's the attitude that we should have. You get that? The Apostle Paul talks, takes the absolute greatest human being who is fully God and fully man and says, look at what he gave up in all humility and maybe, maybe, maybe his example could inform us because we don't compare so well when we compare to him, right? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, whether in heaven or the earth or under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, the, Paul goes on to say that the way God's economy works, it's he, he raises up the humble and he holds down the proud because that's what we need. So that's the attitude that he's called us to have. Therefore, dear friends, verse 12 as you have always obeyed, not only in my 
presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Um, There is a phrase that goes around Christian circles, let go and let God. And there is an element of absolute truth to it. There are things that God alone can do, and part of submission to God is step back and accept that we don't control. But sometimes that is used as an excuse for passivity. And I don't know how you can get passivity out of work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, there's no way saying we earn the salvation. The salvation is a gift from God. Scripture is abundantly clear. There is absolutely nothing that you and I can do to inherit God's favor. But Scripture is also clear that as a result of the gift that we have received, it is our responsibility to give it all we have to work it out. And that introduces much of the rest of the passage. Verse 14, when you're concentrated on that, you'll do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. See, we're not the first to live in the context of a difficult world in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming for your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with y'all so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Chapter 3. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you and as a safeguard for you. Did you catch that? What do we need to keep ourselves safe? According to Paul, joy. According to Paul, joy. It's a safeguard. How is joy a safeguard? Uh, because joy is so focused on what God has done and what God has given and how God has worked that overshadows the heartbreak and the difficulty in the world in which we live. Joy is so attuned to the work of God that the destruction of humans around us is put in a proper uh, level. One of the privileges I've had as being a pastor here is get to travel in missions. And I haven't done as much as many of you in this room have, but I've got to do a little. And one of the things that will blow you away is when you go into parts of the world that are nowhere near as blessed as we are. Financially, socially, educationally, just make a list. In every way possible, our lives is so much easier. And you know what you find? They have joy. They have joy. They may be worshiping under the sun or in the rain because they have roof, no roof. They may be worshiping on the dirt because they have no floor. They may be worshiping a cappella because they have no instruments. They may be worshiping hungry because they have no food. But when they come together, so often they have a joy that is absolutely humiliating to us who have so much. 
Because see, you, our affluence and our blessing can cause us to love the blessing more than the one who has blessed us. And when we hold on to the blessings rather than the blessor, then we become dissatisfied and always want more. Whereas, whereas when we're focused on him and all that he's done, then that filters through our hearts with gratitude and that gratitude allows us to be concentrating on all that we have in spite of all that we don't have and joy becomes an effusive response to the blessings that we have no matter how hard our lives are. Can I submit to you the American church is in trouble because we've lost our joy. We've allowed the difficulties around us, the heartbreaks around us to pull our hearts away from gaining, frankly, the rapturous response to the simple phrase that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. According to the scriptures, that, that's enough. Jesus loves me. So that when, when, when our gratitude for all of God's work and for who he is shapes our hearts and minds, then we become grateful. And that gratitude blossoms into joy no matter what our circumstances are, which protects us from the emotional brokenness, the nihilism of the world in which we live. But joy is never a product of pride. It's always a product of humility. At any rate, let's keep going. Verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who are worshipped by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself are reason for it. He, there's a threat in the, the Philippian church for Judaizers who want to bring them back under legalism. He said, watch out for those. They're a threat because they take you away from the gospel, which is by grace alone. And he said, if anyone thinks they have reason to have pride, confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness. Here's the singular purpose of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Why are we here? Not just as a church, but as individuals. What are we here for? When we get up in the morning, what is, what is the goal that we should pursue? What is the thing that gives us meaning in our lives? What is that which determines whether we've had a successful day or not? For the Apostle Paul, it was to know Jesus. You would think, because of his track record, it was all about serving Jesus. How many churches has he planted? How many revivals did he, you know, he probably was a tent maker so he could have tent revivals, right? Um, No, he said, my goal is just to know Jesus. Because in, in, in knowing him, I gain the power to do everything as he's called me to do. And all that stuff I accomplished, I consider that lost. It's rubbish. It's actually a much 
coarser word than that, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Notice the gospel, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and even the fellowship of his sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that I may, however he chooses, attain to the resurrection of the dead. Okay, that's the introduction to the sermon. Verse 12, but I haven't already obtained all of this. You know, I, I, I've, I've known Jesus for 65, 60, long time, 62 years. How do you, what keeps you going? I'm entering a new time of life. Julie and I are starting a new stage. What keeps you going? You are going through a change of the senior leadership of the church. Where, how do, where, where do you go from here? Paul says, well, first you realize you hadn't arrived. But what do you do? You press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. The past is the enemy of the present. Some of you have given up in growing in the depth of your knowledge of Christ and serving Him because you're so broken by your shame and failures of the past. If I come to you and ask you about things, uh, what, what makes you, what forms you, what should I know about you? And if you were truly truthful, you would make a list of all the failures. The shame. The, the things that you did that you don't want anyone to know. I, can I just say, I thank God I'm old enough they didn't have cell phones with cameras in them when I was a teenager. I can't imagine growing up with that pressure. I probably wouldn't be here today. Um, all of us have shame. None of us lives up to the standard we hold other people to. All of us are hypocrites. All of us are failures. That's why we responded to the gospel of Jesus, that his grace is sufficient for our brokenness. And, and one of the things Satan loves to do is whisper in your heart, haven't you been divorced? Haven't you been bankrupt? Haven't you failed morally? Haven't you, whatever is in your life, Satan loves to whisper in your ear all your failures because when you concentrate on them, you forget the, the victory of Jesus at the cross over all of those. But for others of us, the past is an enemy because the past was good. For others of us, we had one moment in our Christian life when the church was just right or the camp was just right or our friends were just right and we always look back to that glorious time and are continually comparing our walk with Jesus and say, well, it's, it's not like it was then. And, and, and the successes and the positive of the past can keep us from enjoying the gift of God today. Uh, life is a journey. It's not always high. It's not always low. But as a follower of Jesus, he's always there. 
And whether it's your failures of the past or your successes of the past, one of the fundamental things to keep serving Jesus is to forget what lies behind and press on to the goal. Isn't that his words? Brothers, I don't consider my house taking one thing. I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I strain. The picture is of an athlete straining to cross the finish line. And I got to ask myself every day, what goal am I straining for? What goal am I straining for? Am I straining for comfort? Am I straining for success? Am I straining for my family? Am I straining for my pride to feel good about myself? Am I straining for my health? Am I straining for my relationships? Am I straining for my reputation? Am I straining for, what am I straining for? Because all of us are straining towards something. And Paul says, I forget what lies behind so that I can strain toward the goal to win the prize for which God is calling me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You can never live life well as a Christian if you only live it for now. Christianity is fundamentally a story of eternality. The Apostle Paul himself says, if, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if this is all there is, we might as well just die now. Uh, the reality is, according to Scripture, that, that uh, the way that we overcome the heartache and the difficulty now is the awareness of what God has promised for the future. And sometimes, the only thing that has kept Christians going is the reality of the upward call of Jesus saying, come home to me. I've done, I've done um, funerals for unbelievers. Nothing more hopeless in all the world. Nothing more heartbreaking in all the world. And I've done funerals for some of my dear friends whose hope in Jesus was so clear that everyone there had a party. Because the funeral shows what really matters. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. And all of us who are mature should take such a view. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Just live up to what you've already attained. I love that. Because, you know, one of the things that we'll do is say, well, Lord, I don't, I, you know, I hadn't been to cemetery and I don't know all those things you're supposed to know. And, 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 and I got I to gotta go to one more Sunday school class and memorize one more book of the Bible or I, I've, I'm just not right there yet. And what does he say? You've got everything God wants you to have right now. Take hold of what he's given you. And if you need something else, he'll make sure you get it. Grace Bible Church. This is a blessed church. Mike Fisher was here in the first service. I'll talk about Mike tonight, the impact he's had in my life. Bill Bryan, Dwight Pentecost, S.L. Johnson. I mean, it is an amazing privilege to have served you these 28 years. Um, it's been a privilege. But it's time to forget what lies behind and strain 
toward what is in the future. Because the, up, the, the goal of the upward call of Christ, when we will know him as face to face, makes it all worthwhile. We live in a broken world, a desperately broken generation. We live when conflict and anger has destroyed our families and our communities and is ripping apart the very seams of our nation. But, but we're not going to overcome it by letting our worldview be shaped by our circumstances. We will overcome it when we let our lives be shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When, when we make knowing Jesus the thing we strain toward. When, when we make walking with Jesus the characteristic of our lives, when we make listening Jesus the content of our souls, and we may make speaking to Jesus the therapy for our hearts, when, when we live out the gospel moment by moment and day by day, we have an opportunity to be unbelievably blessed. Let's press on. Let's strain together. Let's, let's pursue the goal that we've been called for, to know Christ Jesus our Lord.
Okay, I'm way over time, but we're going to press on. Let's pray while the band comes up. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for the overwhelming blessings that we have. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause each of us to strain to the goal of the upward call that we might know you. In Jesus' name, amen.